Welcome to And Almost Starring, the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And I don't know about you, Amy Jo, but I sure didn't have Debbie Reynolds' cameo on my bingo card. We're looking at The Bodyguard. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. It's so funny that you say that because one of my notes that I made to myself was, I don't know what I thought was in this movie, but Whitney Houston wielding a samurai sword was not in it. Not you know in it. Also was not on my bingo. Nowhere near my bingo card. <laughs> when he lifted that scarf in the air, I was like, sir, I am sure that is a wildly expensive scarf. Don't you have a t-shirt that could use some slicing? <laughs> That scarf's designer. I'm surprised she wasn't like, that was an M.A. But the just absolute sexual tension was so taut. That's what he was cutting with that sword, the sexual sexual tension. tension. So what is a scarf compared to the uh, promise of sleeping with Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner. (laughs) One of my other notes to myself was like, this because because we didn't we didn't watch this movie together um so we were like texting about it a bit but i was like okay yeah this this costner makes more sense to me than most costners i've seen but one of my notes is like still does not do it for me <laughs> no although i mean considering the last thing i'd seen costner in was the robin hood prince of thieves episode that we covered this was such a better fit and i was curious like looking up i was like man did he have a run of films because it was like other films sprinkled in within them but it was all like within like a five-year block was the untouchables uh bull durham field of dreams robin hood prince of thieves uh, dances with wolves jfk and this and these all made either like were solid were like hits like made and like made their money back and then some or they were like some of the highest grossing films of the year or like oscar winning yeah right as wolves won costner best picture and best director his only actor nomination yeah, now, qu- so far question, question so, mark. so far okay <laughs> really shooting for the moon well, um he could no, true. he true. could get he could get some supporting cowboy role Abs- in like absolutely. when he's like 70 that is it like oh kevin costner i'll be a supporting overhead. cowboy not one of those lead cowboys no no quick cue mm-hmm. what is it that made him famous I think The Untouchables was probably, that seemed to be, like, he had, like, other things, like Silverado, um, same writer as this film, Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, oh, yeah. And, like, the he's in the, well, he was famously, like, in the big chill and all the scenes got cut. Like, he's <sighs> the friend who died bringing up all the other friends together. So there were going to be all these flashback scenes. And instead you see, I think, his his dead hand in a coffin or something. Oh, wow. That's, um, that hurts. A little bit. So it was like, I think it was just kind of a few films in the mid to late 80s that were starting to like grow his mm. popularity. And then The Untouchables, I think, is 87. So I think that was like, it's a big, splashy Brian De Palma movie. Mm. Sean Connery's winning the Oscar. You got De Niro as Capone. Right. It's, you know, I think I'm going to go on record here and say I could be wrong because I'm not staring at the man's IMDb. But I think this Robin Hood. Prince of Thieves. I was like, which version is the one we watched? Prince of Thieves and uh, uh, For Love of the Game might be the only Kevin Costner pictures <laughs> I have witnessed. Fair enough. Fair enough. And then, yeah, because it was like Waterworld is 95. That's oh, what wait, I really no, I've kinda... totally seen Waterworld. Oh, I've seen parts of it on TV. <laughs> and then The Postman in 97, like really 
kind of not tanked his career, but really like, because I, I can't express enough, like how much money between Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and this. So this movie was the second highest grossing film of 1992 worldwide. Really? Second only to Aladdin. This movie made $411 million. Jeez. I mean, yeah. it's like an erotic thriller that's not like as not erotic. saucy. Well, it's, well, right. it's a romantic it is, it's a romantic drama okay, with romantic, a few romantic thriller, thriller elements. I would so you've call got it. some romance for the girls, some gunplay action for the boys, you know? It's like in terms of stupid Hollywood yes, lingo. Yes, yes, you're right. I was uh, cuz I was like this is this is like Michael Douglas would be like mm. Not enough nudity in this. I'm not taking the role. Oh, but um, no, but a Mike, Michael Douglas as Frank Farmer? Oh, I, I better. Did, okay, well, I'd like it more than Kevin Costner. Well, yes, for sure, for sure. But, like, of course I thought of him because I was like, oh, yes, it's the early 90s. Michael Douglas loved an erotic thriller. Yeah, he'd be really pushing to be like. The erotic uh, part of that. Hey, maybe yeah. instead of a samurai sword, I could uh, cut this scarf in okay. half with okay. my ding dong. What do you okay. think there? <laughs> Okay. No, <laughs> no, no. Also, Al. There apparently were more uh, like sex scenes that they like filmed like a few and then they just scaled everything back. They because they just Which were feels like, like, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, it works much better for this film because I really I was kind of shocked at how quickly they brought the two of them together. I was expecting it to be a long like it's not to like the third act that they have yeah. to like be like, hey, you know what? We clearly no, there's but- something here. He compromises her by refusing to compromise her. You know, sure, like the, sure. the, the, the will they won't they becomes very different, becomes many things. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. If that's not clear, Jeff, uh, you haven't asked, but no, I had not seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, real quick, listener, don't forget, as always, like, subscribe to the podcast. Tell tell your friends uh, if you're enjoying so. And um, be sure to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash and almost starring. Uh, hours of content await you three dollars a month you're getting all of our episodes early and for five you're getting a whole bonus episode every single month including a full-length supersized episode on the office for this month of november and just to hint we have a very fun christmas film on our patreon it'll be coming right around the corner so you definitely want to check that out patreon.com slash and almost starring ho 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 don't miss out uh, so The Bodyguard came out on November 25th, 1992. We just missed the 30-year anniversary of The Bodyguard. Sounds like a Thanksgiving Day release to me. Which makes sense. This feels like absolutely prime time for this. I just had a lot of turkey. I want to go watch a movie <laughs> where Whitney Houston sings her Yeah, I'm full of turkey, me. so I'll be kind of napping, and then I'll wake up when I hear Whitney singing those like crushing Whoa. those songs, and I'll wake up when I'm hearing like, oh, there's Man, some gunplay and some explosions. Pew, 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 pew. Uh, and so you, of course, as you said, you've not seen this before. Oh, and directed by Mick Jackson and, as I said, written by Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, and I'd also had never seen this before. So I really, I knew like bits and pieces, but a lot of this film that I did not see coming. Um, and so, as I said, second highest grossing film worldwide of 1992 and still today with over 44 million albums sold. This is the best selling movie soundtrack of all time. Well, I mean. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, Barbara wishes, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. this is hit after hit. And I was like, wait, was that written for this movie? Wait, was that written for this movie? I think a lot were. Clearly not I'm Every Woman, because that was a Shaka Khan song. And clearly not I Will Always Love You, because Dolly Parton. But I didn't know that her 
cover of it came from this. Yeah. Wow. Originally, it was going to be, um oh, what's that song? Uh, something, something of the broken hearted. I think it was that mm. was going to be the song, but it was better. covered in fried green tomatoes. They were like, oh, shoot. Like this other movie last the previous year just covered that song. We got to get something we else. We got to get something where when that <laughs> chorus hits with that full voice, you're like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but so this film got two Oscar nominations, both for best song for I Have Nothing and Run to You. Why do you want to bet that Whitney actually performed at the Oscars rather than someone who looks sort of like Whitney? I was like, we know this isn't how this happens other than you're trying to delay her getting on stage so that you can right. like, do this final set piece. But I was like, what are you talking about? This What world does this happen? But it shouldn't be her presenting. Like if you want it, because you have like the two moments. It should be her and singing. A, yes. Right. A, I'm like, well, she just shouldn't. She shouldn't also be an actress. She could just be up for best song. Like she's written the song or whatever. So she's accepting the I know, award but best, for best actress song. is, of course, like how do you raise the stakes the most? It's the best as- actress race. Yes. Or this should be the Grammys. You know, she's it's it's you're making I know, but this singer. is a movie, Jeff. <laughs> yes, I know this is a movie, but Whitney Houston is a singer <laughs> and this is she wasn't necessarily an actor. Um, <laughs> they're they're doing their best to work around what and Whitney she's Houston doing is fine. capable she's of doing. doing. She's fine. doing fine. She's doing fine. But instead of the first, so then instead of the first time of her being on stage, re- like, yeah, reading the nominees for best song, it should be the first time she should be performing. And then she like, maybe she walks off before the song's over because she's too yeah, scared that there might be right. a gunman. Because that's a lot more embarrassing. Yes. Now I know we're not yet at the synopsis and yet here we are at the end of the movie this british <laughs> as, as we tend to do you know spoilers um this british actor she's presenting with i was like wait who is this guy this is nathaniel parker who is like the lead on a major british procedural called inspector lindley but that like didn't oh. start till several years after so i'm not used to seeing him this young and like hey because mm. he's like i'm a grizzled detective with the cid <laughs> you know like so I was just like, what is this suave looking, like cheeky upstart? Um, so I just thought that was that was fun to oh, see Inspector Lindley playing an actual actor. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I have nothing in Run to You were nominated. Uh, Whitney Houston had a cold when she recorded Run to You for the movie. Oh, get over yourself. Stupid. Wow. Stupid. Uh, and yeah, as we said, we've already been talking about the end of the film, but spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen The Bodyguard or you haven't seen it in a while, here's a brief-ish synopsis. As we were saying, Whitney Houston plays Rachel Marin, an Academy Award-nominated actress and music superstar, getting these death threats sent to her by a stalker. After a bomb explodes in her dressing room, her manager seeks out professional bodyguard Frank Farmer, old Kevin Costner, former Secret Service agent who served on the Carter and Reagan presidential details. And like Reagan got shot. It's like, not on my shift. This first whole half hour, I was really into the whole Frank Farmer. He's so like, he's given all these fake names as he's just walking straight into Whitney's yeah, place. I did. I did at first find that very annoying. I was like, what does he think? He's a comedian. Um, Cause the fake names he's giving are all like Henry Ford and Thomas Edison. I was like, oh, okay, he's just <laughs> testing the security, but it, it felt a bit too tongue in cheek to me, but then I was like, oh, okay. But no, this whole like the whole intro of like the the set piece of this house and all the people in it and the way that it operates, I thought was really yeah exciting. Yeah, and they're all, everyone's hiding from Whitney Houston these the severity of these death threats, so she doesn't realize that this explosion was. She thought it was like an electrical. Problem and she hasn't or been getting the letters; they've been intercepted. Right. 
this guy is like broken into the house and like, like they, so it's like, it's a serious situation, but she doesn't realize it. So all, uh, Kevin Costner is putting up all these security measures, these cameras, all this. And she's like really having none of it and is kind of fighting him at every turn. We're meeting all of her inner circle, her very obnoxious press agent, Cy, her sister, Nikki, her son, Fletcher, uh, my favorite character, Bo, the big, beautiful St. Bernard. You better believe, I was like, oh, Jeff is loving this. <laughs> like, when that when he opens the door, the dog is basically there, like, as a, a door warmer, like, at the, like blocking oh, the, hilarious. the draft. And hilarious. then he opens the door, and the dog, this giant dog, just slides on the wooden floor, like, not moving. And I was like, this Can't be bothered. is amazing. <laughs> Rachel accuses Frank of being paranoid, uh, and then they're starting to grow close together. And that's when I was like, she's like asking him out on a date because it's just like, well, if I, you know, what if I want to like go off and sleep with a guy? It's like, do you have to be there for that? I guess it'd just be easiest if I was just there with you alone. And I was like, what has this man done so far to provoke this Mm -hmm. response? What about Kevin Costner? Other than... The old, like, I don't care that you're famous. That does yeah. nothing for me. Other than the aphrodisiac of it, him being unavailable to her. But yeah. it's just like, really? And I get the movie's already too long. And yeah. I don't know. I know that they, the early test screenings did were not kind to Whitney Houston. So they went back and like edited out a lot of monologues mm. of hers and stuff. And just focused more on like the, the close-ups on like the reactions. Um, which I think does a very good job of helping Absolutely. sell a lot. But I wonder if there's maybe like a scene where we got to see her like being paired with some other star as like a potential like mm-hmm. match and seeing like, God, I got nothing in common with this guy or like, are these guys are all grips or these guys are really shitty to my son Fletcher, you know, whereas Kevin Costner's so good with him from the yeah. jump. That kid is so cute. So sweet. He's also the kid. He's in a Terminator 2, but he's uh-huh. like still acting today. No, he's I know. Like, I looked him up. He's yeah, like show, uh, been a series regular on several shows. He's like the, someone's dad on that winning time show with John C. Riley on HBL. I was like, good for you. Good yeah, for totally. you, Fletcher. Uh, we also, <laughs> Rachel has her uh, bodyguard, Frank, who, who can't stand Costner from the jump. No, Tony. Oh, I'm so sorry. Frank, Tony. Frank is, is He's Frank. Costner. The problem no, is Frank could... to me is that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Frank Farmer. Uh, why all these F names? The kid is named Fletcher. The bodyguard is named Frank Farmer. And then the other dog is named Foster. I was like, how? Uh, this is too confusing. Pick a name with a different initial consonant for somebody. Just but, mix um, it up a little. Nobody asked me. Um, no, no. The right. big the big guy's named Tony. Tony, of course. Which I love. He's like, hey, bada bing, bada boom. This is how I talks. <laughs> Right. We get, oh, that's right. Um, where the big poster shot comes from. Uh, she does, Whitney has this big performance of uh, this song, Queen of the Night, from her movie. Which I didn't called. realize that was from this as well. Like another famous, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Um, but they weren't kidding me. Best selling soundtrack of all time. Um, so she's getting, like, which I kind of, I loved as like, ah, a true performer when she's just like, no, I have to perform for my fans here. And he's like, I can't protect you here. And she's like, I must, the fans. And he's got to like him with this fire extinguisher, like bashing people to get to her, uh, made me cackle a bit. As they're like crowd surfing Whitney 
Houston. I was like, <laughs> show some respect. Um, but he gets her out and they leave leaves Tony there. Like Tony's like, come on, out this way. And out side. This door. Yeah, yeah. And leaves side. But like Tony's like goes out the door and he's in the rain and he's like realizing they've not gone that way. They've gone out the back way where the car actually is. And so Tony, I guess, walks home from the rain, maybe takes a cab, but he gets there. And this ridiculous fight between him and Kevin Costner, where Costner, which I did enjoy part of it, that Costner really seems to just can't be bothered. He's just like drinking his orange juice. He's really not paying attention. And at the last second, like, okay, let me like judo block, throw a knife right next to your head. But like this guy has a knife. He's like, oh, you're going to leave me in the rain. I'm going to stab you. This was such an escalation. And then a wild de-escalation for Frank to be like, and let's never talk about this again. No, well, he throws the knife right at his head, and that's basically to establish dominance. He goes, I don't want to have to have this talk again. After they've right. said no words, and the, you can see him being like, yes, I will now assume a secondary position powering down now. Yeah, because oh, he is a big robot. An, an Italian robot, of course. a big Italian robot. <laughs> they were making a lot of them in the 90s. Beep, boop, bada, bing. <laughs> Bada beep boop. <laughs> Bada bing. Once this guy pulled the knife, it's like one thing if he's shoving you or if he's like trying to whack you with a pan, but he pulled a knife. I think maybe you got to get this guy fired. I don't think you can keep this guy on the detail once he's just. Has but a then big- he earns his respect. And then Tony's on side. And then you got that guy, this big guy on your side. Hey. <laughs> You know what? It's true. An enemy is just a friend you haven't made yet. Uh, so, yeah, Frank and Rachel go on this date. They, they're, I, none of this worked for me. I was just like, there's no, oh, no. There's no crackling chemistry between them. There's not. I think they're both perfectly fine. In they're the, both they fine. Both, yeah. They have a good, like, friend chemistry. Like, I was, yeah. I bought, I buy that they're like, oh, I care about. I buy you that they care for now. one another. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, but, but they're not these sparks. Not to not for this early. That's like it really needed for me personally to be like a real slow burn. But we have yeah. He cuts. She has this samurai sword. He likes samurais. He takes well, her they, to a movie to see um, Yohimbo, which is the uh, the Japanese word for bodyguard. Oh well, you have I, I believe it's a Mifune film. You know, yes. like out there like being sure Mifune being awesome. Um, oh yeah. Absolutely. But I was like, of course he's seen this movie a lot. Like, that gives me a lot of insight into Frank Farmer, which, <laughs> look, it's a great film. But also, if he's like, I've seen it conservatively 62 times. He, he had the exact number. He's like, he's the robot. He's like, yeah, I wasn't 62 sure times. if he was like being like literal with her or if he was being playful. But um, it's kind of a problem that I wasn't sure. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, they sleep together. He breaks it off the next day because he's like, this was a mistake. I, 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 I won't be able to protect you if I care. Involved with a client. And which, of course, pisses off Rachel. So now they're back to being having an antagonistic relationship where she has this like, I mean, this character of Portman, this like former Secret Service colleague of farmers who they're at this party in Miami. And she's like, well, since Costner just drinks orange juice, I'm going to take you, Portman, for a real drink. Now we're going to go have sex in my bedroom, which, like, this guy, nothing against this guy. He's he's worked a lot because he's got, like, a bit of a weird look to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, to be like, oh, I'm just going to go make it with this guy. And I get it. It's to make Costner jealous, but it still seemed like such a, like, this guy? This is the guy that this you're, like, guy? pulling into the bedroom? Who oh, then immediately just... gets rapey? Oh, yeah, that's terrible. Speaking of... 
uh, like former Secret Service guys. We haven't mentioned that Uncle Frank is in this movie. My mind was blown was by like, Jerry Tannen. Uncle Frank sighting. But the money's great, right? I was like, yeah. Oh, yes. Man, you knew oh. your lane and you stuck it hard. But that's also why I was so thrown when I was like, Uncle Frank is saying like, come on, Frank. I'm like, no, no, you're, you're Frank. Frank. You you're, are always Frank. You're Frank. You put the silverware in your wife's purse. What are you doing? <laughs> fill it up. Fill it up. Fill it up. Fill it up. Fill it up, please. Um, so the stalker, Rachel gets a phone call from the stalker and then she starts realizing the seriousness of the situation. We also did have the one little shot earlier where they're at like a car wash. The car is going through the car wash and the stalkers inside the car, inside the car wash. I'm like, when did you get inside and how are you going to get out without anyone seeing you? And then they cut to the next scene. While it's in the wash while the it's going suds are the going thing. around like you can't get out you can't i guess you can but it's like well then i think they be- showed they showed the chauffeur old henry um like chatting with people so it's like clear that like he put the car through on the little tracks so sure i know i think we're not meant to analyze the plot too deeply jeff i guess you're right uh so frank takes rachel her son fletcher her sister nikki and the driver henry uh, to this lakefront cabin in the mountains, which is the home of Frank's dad, oh. Herb. And I was like, get me to this mountain oh. house stat. Yeah. And I was enjoying all of this part of the I movie. I was too. This is this the was first a time that caused me. I was like, oh, you're not a robot. Which like, yeah, that's partially why you like take him to his dads to humanize yeah. him. With his dad telling all these embarrassing stories. Yeah. About, like, oh, I'll tell you the first time he met, girl, learned about girls when he was 13. How do you like that? I was like, oh. Which is all, I like this a lot. I did think yeah, they were going to immediately like, kill this dad. I was honestly shocked that this I, dad uh, made I it. was writing a note like, no, not that far. <laughs> oh, he's fine. Because <laughs> I know this guy, Ralph Waite, he was also in, the thing I've seen him in most recently was Cliffhanger, which he, I'm pretty sure if I remember, he does get hilariously murdered by probably probably john lithgow in that film so i was like this is lovable old character actor designed for for an audience to go not that designed to be expendable but in a sad way um but instead we almost uh expend old fletcher because he he can't swim but he steals this boat and this whole sequence made me cackle because costner runs onto the deck and tackles this kid off the boat (laughs) and i had in my i wrote in my notes I don't think he needed to tackle this kid off the boat. And then the boat explodes <laughs> and I write, good thing he tackled that kid. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of moments of like, oh, where I was in the middle of writing something. I was like, okay, I guess that's not a problem. Or, oh, that's, this is a new problem. Okay. Um, and that was one of them. And this is where, because I didn't really know a lot of the particulars of the film, I kind of had like whiplash because in the beginning, when we have all these shots of the people in our inner circle of the sister and Cy, and we all these shots of the sister. And I'm like, is the sister evil? Like, why are, and I was like, is this like, it's one of these people is going to be, is actually the is stalker the or the killer. Yeah. But then we showed the stalker who looks like a sad ghost. So I was like, oh, that's the stalker. And I was like, oh, there's the stalker. But then there's the person trying to kill her. Are two different yes. people. But I still didn't expect it to actually then be one of this inner circle. So I, my mind was blown by oh, this. Was it? Because Jeff, most of my notes are about my journey with when are they going to reveal the sister is the one in charge of this hit like i get it and it's so obvious yes. in retrospect but because it was so obvious she's like i was the i was the singer growing up but then clearly she's the star so i took a back step yeah you t- tell us about your journey amy joe okay so 
Yes, it's so obvious from legit the moment she enters that first scene she's in. I was like, oh, sister's got beef. You know, I was like the sister has motive, if nothing else. Um, So I, I basically I. I saw this on a plane, which I will say this is a perfect plane movie. Like it's long. So you like get through a lot of the flight and also it ain't that deep, you know? Um, so I was like taking notes while I was on this on this flight. So I was, at a certain point, I was like, I'm just going to write down everything like that I mix as I'm experiencing it so I can track what I really was thinking in real time. Brilliant. Um, so my notes about her are as follows. I clocked in the first scene that I was like, she seems, you know, hmm. But then in the scene, what, the first like real scene proper she has where he opens the door and the dog is, is sliding, you know. I said, ah, is the mole the sister? Jealous, jealous big time. <laughs> and then um, she comes on to him at one point and I don't remember exactly what she said, but I wrote, ooh, sick burn from the sister. Oh, no, you know what? She's like, she's the sure thing. But you already knew that. And so I, cause then later she says, you didn't say no to the boss. That was like much right. later, but like this first one, that's what it was. She's like, yeah, she, uh, oh, she won. She was nominated for an Oscar. Everyone said she was a sure thing, but you already knew that. Like, Ooh, so that was that. And then I've written, do we think the fan is a red herring? My money is still on the sister or maybe the sister hired the fan could be Cy, but I think it's the sister. And then pre Colorado or wherever they are, the mountains where, where he's like, no, you're doing what I say and, and no, no more Cy. And I've just written no more Cy. Get rid of that guy. He's the worst. Also, I still think the sister is a security risk. And then, <laughs> Later, when she's there, they're at the house. I went, Ooh, she is bitter. Bitter. I've written a lot of H's there. Yeah, we get um, that scene of her singing. Like, oh. we finally get to hear her singing, and Whitney comes out and is immediately like riffing and harmonizing on top of it and like hugs her. And it was like, I thought it was very effective I in retrospect because Whitney's just like, Oh, we're having this bonding moment. This loving and you see moment. the sister, like, the one time I'm just trying to sing on my own, and you gotta come in with the Whitney riffing. Yeah. Then I think after the after the explosion of the boat, these these by this point are once I've written, I still think the sister is a security risk. We're basically in all caps from here on out with regards to my notes about the sister. I say <laughs> it has to be the sister. If it's Henry, I will be pissed. Henry being the chauffeur. Right. And then then um, I've written the sister is the mole. Let's get to the reveal. And then when she reveals, I go, who called it since frame one? Who called it since she entered the damn movie? And then as the scene is going on, I went, I freaking knew it. I mean, I'm not a genius. It was pretty obvious, but still. Um, so that was my whole journey with it all the way through. Where I was just like, <laughs> obviously, like it's not going to be the last reveal, which of course it's not. But yeah. I was like, but I was like. I know it's so obvious, but it oh, feels like... Oh, well, we like have another because, reveal well, that's that they're saying. saving. I, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I was like, this probably isn't the last reveal given that we don't actually know who the assassin is because it stands to reason it's not the fan. Um, right, right. So, yes. And then I have other notes that based on other stuff that will, will happen later. But, yeah, basically, as soon as it happened, I felt triumphant because i was like again i know super obvious but like i was writing it from the very beginning i was like this is where i am po- this is this is the basket into which i'm placing my eggs and saying mm. it's nikki and i was like wow her sister hired an assassin i know i was like man how's whitney gonna deal with this oops nope the sister's immediately shot by the assassin so then the word then what i wrote after that is oh fuck re nikki so that i would know what that meant 
Right. And Costner does not tell Rachel about this. So we have this kind of action sequence. Costner's trying to find the killer. They can't find each other in the woods. The killer gets away and everyone else is okay. Thankfully, Bo the dog. I don't think Bo the dog is with them, but he should be. There's well, also the, then this little dog, Foster. Yeah, Foster the dog. Bo is Foster's back in okay. LA. Bo Bo is like the king dog of this movie, though. Foster's coming in and it's like, no, 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 we're good. We're good on dogs, Foster. No offense. Oh wow, you're saying less dogs. No, I'm saying you. less foster, more bow. Just replace the amount of dog. Right. Keep the same amount of dog. Actually, no, more dog. Honestly, bow should be the one. Not Don't get let Bo get shot, but let Bo run out onto the Oscars stage and push Whitney out of the way and save the day. That's is, how are beautiful we, this big Are we is. doing Beethoven now? Are we suddenly doing a different film? Oh, Beethoven bodyguard? My bodyguard dog? <laughs> <laughs> the body dog? A brilliant movie. I mean, this. I'm sure that movie's already been done. I think there's like a version of that with like canine or something of like. I'm sure. There's, yes. Or Turner and Hooch. I think, I think Hooch might take a bullet for Tom Hanks if I'm not mistaken i forgot that that dog dies is hooch a pooch hooch of course is a pooch you say of course i don't i haven't seen no turner and hooch but surely you've seen the cover of tom hanks and a big slobbery dog Uh, what's the oh starsky and hutch is the other one i'm thinking of that's not well yes those are both people (laughs) neither of them are a dog but hutch (laughs) also a dog name so is starsky (laughs) so is turner why is it not called turner and pooch Why is it what? Why is it not called Turner and Pooch if you're going to go to the trouble of calling it Hooch? Because his name's not Pooch. It's he's Hooch the Pooch. It is. He's Hannibal the Cannibal. He's Hooch the Pooch. These names (laughs) rhyme. I see. I see. Sorry. How dare. That's why before they called him Frank Farmer, his name was originally Frank Fodifard because they it's just like he's Fodifard the bodyguard, you know? Anyway. So. <laughs> so um okay. so nikki is her funeral um oh we also learn i feel like it was around here oh because it's, it's from the dad because we finally learn oh right the day that reagan got shot frank wasn't there because he was attending his was it his wife's his funeral mother's his mother's oh, his funeral. mother's funeral. The, the okay. dad was talking about his wife okay gotcha 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 so yes it, so it was like <laughs> because he dared go to his mom's funeral the president got shot yeah <laughs> and i now think the the like he can't get attached to anyone it could have been that he just wasn't there it didn't need to like it wasn't his shift it didn't need to be like i was at my mother's funeral and I'll always regret that. <laughs> right. I, that's why I was like, oh, man, is this dad going to die? And then he's going to be like, I can't go to my dad's funeral. I got to be I there for Rachel. I have to protect Rachel at the Oscars. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really did like this. Then this uh, shot, because it's now it's very, you know, clearly Rachel's mourning the death of her sister. She doesn't know her sister hired an assassin. Right. This shot, this like Fletcher and some friends are playing in the pool. And Costner and Whitney are seated on opposite sides. So they're kind of like, they both have sunglasses on. So they're able to like. In these close-ups, you can see, you can just see enough behind the sunglasses that they are, like, looking at each other. Mm -hmm. But Whitney especially, her head is tilted away, but her eyes are, like, you have to, like, really squint to see her eyes behind the sunglasses. And I thought it was a really effective little moment for for Whitney um, that I really dug. Uh, And then, yeah, we're at the Oscars, and she's like, screw it. I'm going to the Oscars, even if there's danger. Uh, And this is all, I mean, it's all so ridiculous, but I, the suspense of it was really getting me. I had a note where I was like, my palms are sweating. It's being very effective, or maybe I've had too much coffee. 
Um, it's one or the other, or both. Uh, but I have to these so- best song. Oh my gosh, nominees, I have them all. That she's I... reading. Oh, same, same. You, you, here, you, you give it to us. The ones. So okay. First off, all the movie titles, like, so the the first one that's announced is, like, best sound editing or something like that for the movie Hot and Cold. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, that's the best we could do. Then the guy playing the Oscar host, which, like, the fact that they didn't get a comedian to, like, cameo in feels like They kind of did. This is me. Robert Wool. He's he's in, like, the Tim Burton, the first Batman movie with Tim Burton. He's in, like, a few other things. I forget. I forget what. He's, like, not a... St- they didn't get, like, I don't know. They, I feel like they could have... You got Debbie, you might as well get us Billy Crystal. That's what I'm thinking. Um, But anyway, so then he's making all these gross comments about how hot the quote unquote sound girl is. I was like, this woman just won an Oscar. And you're saying like the sound girl was never. Anyway, it felt actually totally appropriate and how disgusting it was. Um, But yes. Okay. So what else do I have here? This, the, the one that really got me was nominated for best song, clock on the wall from the dining room table. I was like, what? Mm hmm. What movie is what, this? what creaky merchant and ivory production is the dining I still room table? At the clock on the but wall. see that give dining room table. At least I could be like, I could see a movie being called the dining room table, and it's probably not a good movie. I could see that. But then give me your trust from out of the gloom. <laughs> okay, I didn't hear that one. I have one of the another movie was called South of Waco. Which was funny because I was That's, flying back yeah. from Waco while on this flight, which I thought was pretty wild. That was the one that the best actor from last year yes. won. So he was the one presenting for best actress, who seemed like a real Tom Cruise stand. And his name is like Tom Winston mm-hmm. or something. And he, he's got a bit of a Tom Cruise look. But South of Waco, I'm like, South that of Waco like sounds a like a movie Absolutely. title. Absolutely. Yes. Out of the Gloom. Hot and Cold and the Dining Room Table, those are not movie titles. These are these are placeholder titles that you put in like, your we'll screenplay and forgot later. to find oh, yeah, anything uh, Hot and Cold. Hot and Cold. That's good enough. No, it hot is cold. not. Come on. Clock on the wall from the dining room table. <laughs> it was like, well, no. when you're, hey, when you're at the dining room table, you have a great view of the like, clock on the wall. How long is dinner? How long do I have to sit here and stare at this clock on the wall? And give me your trust to help get me out of the gloom. Like, so silly. Uh, but so Rachel is announced as the winner for Best Actress. And we, we realize that Portman, because Portman is there again, and Frank finally realizes, oh, this guy that looks like an evil villain is, is our evil villain. He's not villain. bodyguarding the Oscar host. He's unbodyguarding Whitney. I mean, I wouldn't have been mad if maybe one shot one shot has to hit Costner because he takes the bullet for Rachel, but maybe that second shot hits uh, Robert Wool, the Oscar yes. host, because he really is he the worst. It. I did like that the camera was the gun. I thought that was very that effective. Was cool. Also because it's like obscuring his face. I was like, this guy's a professional. And then Costner shoots the camera and it like explodes into this guy's face, which was pretty rad. I'm yeah, not going to lie. Great, great. Yeah. Big fan. Um, but yeah, we cut to later on. Uh, oh, wait. Wait, we can't cut to later because we need the moment of like her card that's been pulled from the envelope that has her name on it that she won Best Actress is like spattered with blood. Sai picks it up and like wipes it off, streaking the blood. It would have looked just like, ooh, spooky if there's blood. I don't know. He, he smears it so it streaks and then like kind of like wistfully like, oh, this didn't go so great, pockets it. And I was like, Sai is hollywood yeah what a, i really did not need that shot i was like we can no. move this along what is this no. weird little this, moment? Uh, this character didn't need a coda 
you know? Uh, no, but Frank recovers from the shooting, bids farewell to Rachel at the airport, both realizing this relationship's just not going to really work out. And the plane starts to take off, but Rachel orders the plane to stop to run back out and give Frank one passionate kiss. As we hear her singing, I will always love you. And then we cut to like sometime later, her singing that while Frank is now protecting a new client. And with, with that same little, um, this little uh, cross, cross he gives, yeah. which he gives this little cross to Whitney, which she like pushes when she's on the it's Oscar a stage, device, like a little um, emergency button to be like, yeah. come get me. Apparently during that airport scene, because that camera is revolving around them so quickly, the <laughs> the camera operator fell off the like the, the little thing like circling oh. around so he had to run back and climb on while it was still going uh and that's the take that was used in the movie wow that's a fun <laughs> fact that, that's a wild day on set <laughs> so the casting director of the bodyguard was elizabeth lustig lustig is also cast such films as a river runs through it newsies and dances with wolves oh. Let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. Some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all subjective. And as always, I've looked up all the actors in advance, and Amy Joe's hearing it along with you, listener, for the very first time. Yeah. So let's kick it off with Frank Farmer. Amy Joe, your thoughts on Kevin Costner, and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I'll, again go back on record to say this is exactly the type of character I usually just I don't care about I have trouble getting excited about um but that might also be because it's like Kevin Costner to me is fine you know he's fine but I'm not like riveted by anything he's doing really um so I do wonder yeah if it were someone else what my experience might have been I think the cleanest one-to-one is Bruce Willis like that just sure to me is like yeah you couldn't get Costner or or you wanted Bruce Willis but you got Costner instead like I feel like they both play in this this uh same kind of thing I think for the same era but I'm slightly more interested in like well I mean Michael Douglas like made sense it's just I I don't know um in like a Kevin Bacon someone who's just like a little Mm. more of a sideways choice um i like i also think kevin bacon is a more interesting more contemporary i'm like dwayne johnston makes sense uh, i guess i really have i don't think dwayne johnson can do romance i don't think i've never seen him sell that much of what he's done in regards to that so maybe that's i've just have never seen him sell a romance on screen that's fair i'm just thinking of like who who are people that i would buy as like ex cia i'm not cia ex, ex um secret so, service thank you i'm like social security is not ex social security ex social security <laughs> officer um oh the bureaucracy but point taken i haven't seen him attempt anything like that so maybe he's Maybe he's just a real rock <laughs> with regards to his acting. Oh, brother. So also for more contemporary, like younger guys who are all like, I think these guys are all in their 30s, early 40s. I could see like John David Washington being oh, really interesting absolutely. in this. Absolutely, He'd be um, great. He's got, I mean, he's actually like a really fine actor <laughs> with like a lot going on. I don't know. I think I'd, I'd like to see uh that sterling k brown also similarly mm-hmm. just people who yeah i buy the sensitivity and like the romance and like yeah. they're also like a- attractive in that way and then this actor occurred to me mainly because like he's ex-military but i was like oh yeah adam driver too i would buy this kind of like frosty like i'm going in this direction and i'm not gonna let you derail me until she derails <laughs> his heart totally i also have sterling k brown 
because I for me what I what I need with this role because so much of it is he's kind of the stoic man of few words who's kind of presenting a certain idea of masculinity and then we need mm-hmm. to see everything underneath that which I don't think we get with Costner I think there's a lot a lot of the like especially in that first half hour like I didn't talk about that opening shot I thought was so striking that in black we just hear gunshots and then we just open on him like holding down the guy he's protecting and holding out the gun like he's just shot an assailant and it's a very like striking opening yeah totally but so I think it's so funny you said John David Washington because I think the one person for 1992 Denzel is center of the bullseye for what mm-hmm. this character needs to be able to do because to me yeah, he is right. like the professional who's like nope I'm, I'm gonna need cameras here i'm gonna need cameras there he's like nope the man's in the crowd man's in the crowd i know who's here but he's also selling the romance so you much see underneath. all of that yeah the only other people i could think of in 1992 it, george clooney would be perfect in like a few years he wasn't quite he wasn't leading movies in this way. He wasn't quite cooked yet. Um, and Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze is the other one that I think I also thought of Patrick Swayze. I was like, Roadhouse is this, yeah. you know, but um, this is leaning towards less ridiculous. Um, you need a guy that can do the action and can do the romance. Made more recently, yeah. I think the best, I mean, now he's probably too old, but if this was made like 2006, Daniel Craig, I think would be, would have been like sure. perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think Idris Elba would be, doing everything I need with this. Timothy Oliphant, mm-hmm. I would really like in this kind of role. Um, and But today, I think Ryan Gosling is actually like a real center of the bullseye for oh. someone who is the very quiet, understated, but there's a lot going on under the surface. And like thinking of something like Drive, that he is like capable of great violence and also capable of the romance side that you need. Speaking of Drive, I did love the scene where Costner is teaching the chauffeur how to like spin out and like make all these fast turns. He's teaching the him how to Tokyo like, drift wow! going into Fast it and Furious. So, I just thought that was really, I really liked the actor who played the chauffeur. I did I too, but then charming. I wanted like a full car chase at one point. I'm like, you gotta, yes, what so is that, this that, setup? I, I wonder if that was in there. Yeah. I mean, we, we do have the, the, the scene where then someone's following them. And so, he, you know, the, Tony's trying to start beef and he's like, I'm watching right. this and they're in communication. But like, I wanted more of a payoff for Henry, the way Cy gets his stupid moment at the end. I was like, I don't care about this. Guy. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in you know, whatever. It's the film does what it does. And a lot of the reviews it, were like pretty does. much all saying the same thing is that there is the good idea of a movie here. Ebert was one of the ones that gave it an actual positive review. But he did say that it was like, this isn't a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination. But there's really some the interesting DNA here for a really interesting film noir. And I wish it had well, pushed a bit and the more noir towards score, that. Yeah, they started with that noir score, which they had like here and there throughout. Um, and w- we were kind of talking about this yesterday about how this would this is like a perfect film to remake because it's like got a lot of good elements, but could be really enhanced in the right hand. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And that there's just like, you can take the basic framework and do something very different yeah, with it. Do anything. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, which we'll, we'll talk about at the, the end of the episode, but uh, that is what the plan is. Uh, so Lawrence Kasdan wrote this movie as his Hollywood calling card. Cause he would go on to write Raiders of the Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back, Return mm. of the Jedi, The Big Chill, Body Heat. Um, but so this movie got pitched and rejected 67 times because this was it was the mid 70s that he wrote this. This was like around for so long and they kept trying to make this movie and then it would not come to fruition. Um, so this was like sitting in a desk drawer and Costner found it. That is a real 
that is a real um, testament to just continuing to put yourself out yeah. there. Well, I mean, he went, he was at that point, he's like, whatever, he sold it. They, they, they sold it. And then the studio was just like, ah, now we don't know what to do with it. So then it just kind of sat there in limbo. Like it was more okay. that Costner found it. And he was the one that really pushed to like, no, 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 this, this is going to make a great movie. And Costner's the one that wanted Whitney Houston and really fought for her. So a lot of hmm. this film's success comes down to Costner. I don't think the film would have been made otherwise. So there aren't a ton of other actors who yeah. were up for it. Um, certainly not for 1992. But originally, they were going to make this in the mid-70s with Steve McQueen. Oh, well, I like that. That's great. Costner said he based his portrayal of Frank on Steve McQueen and insofar mm. as getting McQueen's iconic hair style yeah. for the film. But so the project fell through and they tried again in the late 70s with Ryan O'Neill. And once again, oh. it just went into limbo. I have a lot easier time seeing Steve McQueen. I agree. That I really get. I'm like, I mean, I guess we're in the mid-70s. I mean, no, but I mean, who cares? G give me Paul Newman, like a Paul Newman, Frank Farmer bodyguard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so instead, Ryan O'Neill <laughs> went and did this movie, The Driver, which is this crime thriller that was ironically written for Steve McQueen, who turned it down. And this movie I'd never heard of called The Main Event, which is a boxing rom-com with Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised I've never heard of this because I did go through a strong Streisand face. <laughs> uh, but let's move on to Rachel Marin. Amy, tell your thoughts on Whitney Houston and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Look, we have seen singers give worse performances. Very true. On this very podcast. I mean, this is better than Christina Aguilera in in uh, burlesque. Uh, yes. Yes. Whitney's being asked to do a lot more. It's, it's these, and I think the script is not helping her. It's these shifts from her being like, Frank, I believe you. I need you. Oh, and then yeah. go, like that, when she's on stage presenting best song and then runs off because she's scared the killer might be there. And she goes, you're paranoid, Frank. I'm looking like a fool because of you, like screaming at him. And I'm like, yeah. this does not track none of these there's such big pendulum swings they are, absolutely i didn't have such a problem with that because i just was like yeah you know you're that famous you're assuming she's basically a stand-in for herself in a lot of ways like you're whitney houston levels of famous in the 90s when celebrity was like at its in, in all caps you know it at its height like I do buy a certain amount of uh, mercurial mood swings and irrationality being part of just like your egos being fed all the time. And like, you know, I don't know. But um, but yes, I think the script is not helping her in those respects. But I think she's fine. You know, I think she's I have a hard time looking at this and knowing how much blame's not the right word, but like what to attribute to what you know like how much is Costner how much is her like with regards to like their lack of chemistry and this sort of thing you know again which like they have a very friendly chemistry and I I do think probably a lot of it is on Whitney because she was much more inexperienced in this way but um man she looks a million bucks and sounds like a one trillion yeah one trillion yeah I was gonna say a billion Truly. you're right I undershot it one trillion bucks just Oh my God. Like, wow. You know, just wow. So yeah, I mean, uh, so all the people that I decided to go with, I was like, I'm, I'm going to not try to change this movie. I'm going to go with the person is a singer playing a singer into acting. You know, I was like, yeah. let me just like do that. Totally. So like kind of top of, well, top of my list is Jennifer Hudson insofar as like 
she's in a similar way got an Oscar that people are like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess, you know, yeah. in, in a way that I feel like this character winning an Oscar is kind of like, yeah, yeah okay, I get, you know, um, but like someone who can like really do all their own singing. Right. And and that we also buy, there's a certain amount of like, oh, yes, this is a person whose albums I have purchased in a store kind of thing, um, you know, if it was the 90s. Also, if it were being made like today, like I think Lady Gaga is a very easy fit for yeah. this sort of thing. Definitely. You know, I was just like, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, if this instead of remaking a star is born, if they'd remade the bodyguard with know, Gaga and Bradley I was Cooper, like, actually, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga would have paired really nicely in this. Um, and it would have been. Well, I don't know. I didn't see all of a star is born. You had it on. And I sort of watched some of it. Um, <laughs> shallow. Great. Um, then uh, they're so see, far from see. those shallows now. They're so. <laughs> Oh, now all I can see is the like recut version with the Muppets out oh, where so Piggy is like, watch us at the heaven. Yeah. And it's just a shot from below as Piggy like a falls toward the camera. A star is bore. Oh, that's right. Right, right, right. Oh, we love a pun. Um, I wonder, I mean, the, the more obvious than Jennifer Hudson is Beyonce. I just don't know that Beyonce is like acting anymore. You know well, what I sure. mean? But let's Maybe let's say right that project. instead of making Dream Girls, instead they made the Bodyguard. You know, and so you got Jennifer Hudson. Then Beyonce and makes Beyonce. more. I mean, yes, Beyonce is like and, um, fame level wise and vocal chops and everything like more more akin to a Whitney Houston than than J Hud is just with regards to like yeah sure fame right, level, right right you know cultural impact yeah. Yeah, but I mean, uh, around that time with, I mean, with their Dreamgirls co-star, Jamie Foxx as Frank Farmer, I could be, I'd be very oh. interested in that. Jamie Foxx is a great pick. That's great. If we're going for someone who is like an amazing singer, but isn't like a famous singer, like the obvious choice is Cynthia Erivo. If you want someone who's going to give you oh, that pro performance, yes. you can do all of the singing, but who's not already a singing star. You know, it kind of depends on what you want. Do you want to take a famous singer and just say they're also they happen to be a famous singer in this context? Or do you want to be like, this is an incredible actor who's an unbelievable singer? Do we want to put them, you know, in that case, Cynthia Erivo is like my top pick, I feel like for giving me like <laughs> everything. Yeah. Just the everything of it all. And then for another, like, for for more the time or a little earlier, like, Streisand, duh, makes sense if we're making this more in, like, the 70s, 80s kind of thing. I mean, who, everyone who remade A Star is Born, <laughs> basically. Um, and then this is, this is a wild choice. This is a very different film because this is a different type of singer. But I'm like, what if we have, like, a young Reba McIntyre? <laughs> it's a very different movie, but I'm like, it could be very charming. She's a very charming actor. Well, now with the with all like the explosions, I'm just thinking of what's that? The music video with oh, the, does he love you? Does oh, does he, he love, love you? you? Right, right. Like he loves me. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe Reba McIntyre as the sister. <laughs> and and what's her name? Linda. She's behind it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Linda Davis as oh my god, that's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I had a hard time with this one. It was like, yeah, Lady Gaga, Beyonce. I, I don't have anyone else for 1992. But I was like, I could have seen like the 2002 version with J-Lo. I think uh, J-Lo also did occur to me as well. As someone like a- who's got or, you know, that, inst- you know, they are so good and out of sight together. So J-Lo and George Clooney as oh, our yeah, leads of the bodyguard. Fine. That's fine. that's now that's a movie that's selling that sexual that's chemistry. Got, yeah. Hotsy totsy. Or I could even see, like, I could see the version at that time with with J-Lo and Ben Affleck. 
And I'm like, they've got more chemistry than Kevin Costner and Whitney Can Houston. Like, you I believe we are living in a world where they are together again? Of course. Of course I can. And I'd much rather that than him ruining Anna de Armas or other no, these other young performers. No, like true. J-Lo honestly, can handle it. Yeah, for It's sure. more that I'm shocked that a man Ben Affleck's age in Hollywood is choosing to date a woman his, his own, own in his own age bracket yeah, that to yeah. me is what's more shocking and honestly thank god more people need to figure it out figure um, it out get your life together so costner campaigned for whitney houston he was like this it's got to be whitney this is the this is what's going to make this movie uh and houston would give costner singing lessons on set in exchange for acting advice um but like they stayed close for like a lot of her life like he spoke oh. at her funeral oh. like when she was like really going through it like a lot of her friends and family reached out to costner like would you please like write to her to reach out and he like wrote her a lot of letters he's like i don't know if they were ever read but Mm. that he was like really trying to like stay involved as she was going through the troubles but so the movie was originally written in as i said in the 70s with steve mcqueen it was going to be steve mcqueen and diana ross (gasps) i just got chills i love that (laughs) Um, but it was rejected as too controversial at the time. And Lawrence Kasdan sure. said, which is interesting because Kasdan said Rachel's race didn't matter. She's not written to be no. black. Um, but you might assume based on a written for Diana Ross, then stars Houston. But it doesn't say anything one way or the other, which the movie did get a lot of um, like po- a positive uh, reaction to that. They don't mention. They don't make a big deal of it at all, at all. in a way that especially in the early 90s in freaking Los Angeles is, yeah. is maybe helpful to be like. Hey. And it's kind of then, you know, second highest grossing movie worldwide. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what other movies this high of a budget star, star are about in interracial, interracial relationships. So, yeah. I mean, big props to the film for that, for being in you know 1992 and being ahead of the game. Yeah, Not being a big deal, just being like, yeah. this is how people are. Right. But in the mid 70s, it was deemed too controversial. So then they tried again in the late 70s with Diana Ross and Ryan O'Neill. But the project fell through after only a few months because of irreconcilable differences between O'Neill and Ross, who had been dating and were in the process <gasps> of breaking up. Oh, no. Right. Yoy, yoy, yoy. And so everyone else that I have, I don't know. If it was considered Diana Ross and Ryan O'Neill, I know. Were a couple? Well, talk about reconcilable differences. Because I, oh, yeah, I can't picture what was reconcilable between them to begin with. You know, wow, I'm not up on all my late 70s gossip, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, we got we to gotta buy on eBay some old hot goss mags from the late 70s to see which, I gotta old, get the goss. which old stars were stupid who. Um, so I don't know of what time period that all these people were considered, if it was when in 1992, sure. when in the 70s, but Patti LaBelle turned it down. Oh, that's fun. Uh, Pat Benatar was considered. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Very different uh, for myriad reasons. Okay. Now, <laughs> Travolta not considered, but Olivia Newton-John was. So imagine if this was like in the 80s, John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John's follow-up to Greece. I love it. I'm kind of obsessed with the idea That's of That's great. That's really fun. And I can also see Travolta being successful in this role. Yeah. I, I mean, because he, he's done both. He can do like, I'm I'm yeah. a tough guy, macho man, but like, oh, I'm, I've got the sensitivity. I could see that. Uh, Kim Carnes, uh, probably best known for writing uh, Betty Davis Eyes. Oh. 
Debbie Harry. Debbie Harry. That's fun. Which I forgot in terms of looking up. Like she's got a lot of acting credits that I did not realize. She's in she's in like a Cronenberg movie. She's in Copland. She's Velma von Tussle in the original hairspray film. Oh, wow. I see, I didn't know all these things. Nor did I, because I never saw that original John Waters hairspray. Janet Jackson was considered. Oh, how did I not think of Janet Jackson? Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. I feel like if Whit- if Whitney was like, I'm just not interested. I think Janet, Janet Jackson sure. is giving you a, a very similar of what you need. Um, and so Costner, because he was also a producer on the film, reportedly denied Madonna an audition because she had made a gag joke at his expense in Madonna Truth or Dare. I don't know what that joke was or the reputability of this rumor, but hey, it is funny to picture Costner being like, no, not even giving her an audition. No. Uh Instead, in 1982, Madonna was doing previous episode, League of Their Own, and the, speaking, you want to talk erotic thriller, the erotic thriller Body of Evidence with Willem Dafoe. Oh, rough. I thought, when was Evita? Evita was like... 96, I think. 96. Yeah. Ooh, but Antonio Banderas is Frank Farmer? <gasps> oh, <gasps> Now that's us. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's, muy caliente. Now we're talking. erotic thriller, baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean... She's whatever. I don't care. I mean, you know, she doesn't need to be a singer. She could just be an actress or you could whatever. It doesn't have to be a singer. It's just like it makes sense if you're thinking of singers to get one of the best voices that's ever existed on the planet. Um, It makes sense if you want your film to be second highest grossing worldwide of the year and be the highest selling soundtrack. All time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, But if you have like Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek or Penelope Cruz, it's like this is also like a great steamy rom romantic drama thriller. Pedro Omodovar's okay. The Bodyguard. <laughs> but that sound means it's time to play a quick round of Two Truths and Some Guy. Or in this week's case, Two Truths and Some Person, because gender is what? Dead! The way it works. Two of the following actors were up for the role of Rachel, and one was not, and Amy Jo is to guess which is which. Your options are Joan Jett, Celine Dion, and Dolly Parton. Okay. I love this. I'm going to say it's not Celine. That is correct. Just ding, timing ding, ding. wise. Also, I think out of those, Celine is probably the not known for her acting. Um, but right. uh, but she did cross my mind. I was just thinking of like 90s superstars. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's it made me laugh. I, mean, I, I, mean. I was like, wow, that would be great. Uh, that'd be a great parody. Um, but Dolly, like we were talking about Reba McIntyre. I was like, oh, yeah. Dolly, Dolly be great. Um, and then Joan yes. Jett makes sense if you're looking at like Debbie. She wouldn't. She wouldn't be great for this, but she's a fun, lively presence. She wouldn't be as combative. Yeah, I mean, you know, because and I, I will always love you. It was written yeah. for Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. It was Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds in the '70s in The Bodyguard. <laughs> Well, that's a much more uh, breezy film, I think. Um, suppose, that's, that's my thing. With Dolly Parton, it's a breezy. I, I'm not seeing the like, my sister's trying to put out a hit on me, Dolly Parton. On me, How comma, Dolly you? Parton. How dare you? Who would want to target Dolly Parton, the sweetest woman in the world? Um, but Joan Jett, instead, in 1992, was doing an episode of the Highlander TV series. And Dolly Parton had this movie, Straight Talk, which was this rom-com where Dolly ditches her boyfriend, Michael Madsen, moves to Chicago, and accidentally becomes a radio therapist, only to fall for the local reporter, James Woods, who's trying to prove she's not really a licensed doctor. Huh. 
more than any other film that I've seen in some time is the plot description being so tonally at odds with two of the cast members because yeah. that's like I don't know if like it's Bill Pullman or like Alec like Alec Baldwin even is like oh, okay sure sure yes. and her like love interest is you know I don't know then for that get me like George Clooney or whomever but Michael Madsen and James Woods in a rom-com is uh interesting yeah interesting. they're normally the type of person you put in a rom-com as a sort of antagonistic vibe and not well, I guess Michael Madsen is filling I that suppose, function I as suppose. the ex-boyfriend, but still the idea of Michael Madsen and Dolly Parton as exes. It's peculiar. <laughs> it's a little peculiar. John Lithgow. John Lithgow like trying to sniff around a story for Dolly Parton and getting like like being bumbly John Lithgow and Dolly Parton's just like, oh, don't worry about all that. I'm just having fun being a pretend therapist. Can you imagine the two of them height-wise together? Because I think isn't Dolly quite wee? I'm sure she's quite wee. And he is a giant man, so I think that'd be funny. I think nothing so. else. Comedy gold. Comedy gold. But those are all the characters. I found other casting options for. There are a few characters we didn't mention. I want to briefly touch on them. Uh, we have Bill Cobbs, the great Bill Cobbs. As uh, I would like to say real quick, I think all the supporting and even all the like tiny roles in this, like with the exception maybe of um, you know the 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 uh, assassin guy mm. who like yeah it like reads really creepy from the jump. Like um, I think they cast really well everyone like comes in nails their stuff which you don't always get in like under fives in a movie like this but i feel like they really cast it quite well i i agree i agree and i I love bill cobb's previous episode demolition man he's like the small role um but he's he's been everything like he's in hudsucker proxy he's in all those night at the museum films um christopher burt played henry the driver i i liked him i just wish i feel like he just kind of I feel like the character arc was the problem. Like he he had more of an arc at the beginning and then they kind of just like dropped it and he was just kind of there with everybody. Yeah. I would not be surprised if this film if had like a cut, two yeah. hour, 40 minute cut and originally and they were like, we got to yeah. trim a half hour of this. And like, sorry, yeah. sorry, Henry, you're the driver. We're going to cut down the third act car chase where you get to show off your Tokyo drift skills um, and you're, you know, where you're racing Vin Diesel one quarter mile at a time. Uh, Gary Kemp is Cy, the press agent, who's probably best known as lead guitarist and principal songwriter for the English new wave band Spando Ballet, which I was like, I've never heard of Spando Ballet, but I have heard of their song True, which despite not knowing any lyrics, is the song that when I hear it, I just picture this is a song you play when you have like a romantic couple are taking a bubble bath because it just starts with that. That song. I'm like, oh, that is just like we're having a romantic time. I know this much is true. Is it that one? I'm probably, yes. Michelle Lamar Richards, who played Nikki. But I didn't really recognize a lot of her credits but you might know amy joe she was in murder she wrote season 10 episode 17 the dying game where jb has worked to have larkin sold to a museum but an embezzled pension plan leads to a rival bid and moita mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm familiar with season 10 very specifically because when you were working at second stage, that's the season you found on DVD on like a take me, I'm free shelf. Yeah. They just left it on a table like someone please take this. No, yeah, nobody I'm- wants this. And I was like, oh, ho, ho. I know one person who does. So, yes, yes. I know she looked familiar and it is humbling to know it's from that. And this, she really sells that scene where she's like oh, crying and she's like, I, is, you know, not the baby. Really I, not, I didn't want something to yeah. happen to the baby to Fletcher. She's really like making it, making this role work in a way where you buy 
that she's just like been put upon for years. And also because like Whitney, yes, is not necessarily selling. She's got a line like people say I'm a bitch, but I've just become that. I'm like, well, you just seem like famous, you know, but like I think the actress playing Nikki is selling the kind of like I have been working for my sister for so long and she has you know like she's selling what is more on the page than on the screen you know i agree mike star as tony the bodyguard uh who's probably best known for dumb and dumber um so i just remember him just like in the car i've never even seen dumb and dumber but the scene of like him and jim carrey jim carrey's like you want to hear the most annoying sound of the world like just driving that him crazy that's who that is um that and goodfellas are what i know him best from uh, Portman, I couldn't, I couldn't say if it was pronounced Thomas or Tomas, Tom, it might be Tomas Arana. Um, this guy's list of credits though, this guy Portman is wild. He's in, he's Lazarus in the Scorsese Last Temptation of Christ. He's in Hunt for Red October, LA Confidential, Gladiator, Dark Knight Rises, and Guardians of the Galaxy. He's the Cree ambassador. So I'm pretty sure he's glopped with makeup huh. to look like an alien, you know, Monsterman, but wild career on this guy, uh, yeah. which is very impressed by. Uh, Ralph Waite, who I mentioned, who plays Costner's dad, Herb Farmer. Uh, it was also back in the day, it was in Cool Hand Luke, Five Easy Pieces. Oh, wow. um, a lot of really cool early credits for him. Jerry Bammon as Ray Court, Uncle Frank sighting, as Come we on, said. Jerry. And uh, some cameos from from Debbie Reynolds <laughs> with this one. I always said she was nuts talking about. Truly, like when she turned around, I was like, what? <laughs> I know. I know. And uh, the West Wings, uh, Richard Schiff as like the little Oscar yes. coordinator. Love Which Oldfield. I thought he crushed, you know, because I didn't recognize him. I was just like, oh, this guy's killing it. And then the credits, I was like, oh, it's, it's Richard Schiff. Good um, Richard Schiff. But like just the, again, like everyone coming in, doing what an actor is supposed to do, but not, it's not always how this is cast, but like coming in and just like having such a strong point of view that is going to be at odds with the needs of the people around, you know, like I feel like this guy had a life before we arrived with the the scene that we saw him in and after, yeah. you know, it, it just very Absolutely. Full. Definitely. Uh, so final thoughts, Amy Joe. anything we haven't touched on yet? Not really. I think we we got to everything. I mean, most importantly, discussing clock on the wall from the dining room table was like the most important thing for me to to make sure the listener didn't miss if they watched this film. I, I think this was a very fun, like diverting plane film. Like that's how I will describe it. I was like, great. I'm glad I finally saw it. Oh, Whitney sings her face off. And I yeah, I'd be very interested in a remake, am I going to get that info now? Um, so they've been trying, they've been talks of remaking this. Um, some, some not necessarily spurred on by this, but uh, whilst doing like interviews for Thor Ragnarok, apparently Chris Hemsworth loves this film. So like him and Tessa Thompson were like kind of half joking, half serious about the idea of them doing a remake of this, um, but flipping it. So he's like, so you'll be protecting me. <laughs> and then it's like, so Tessa, you're just going to carry me in your arms. Um, and there's been ta- like a, a few names have circled of like Channing Tatum, Cardi B. So it's like, I don't know. Cardi B did occur to me as like a, that would be a very fun way to contemporize it as having a, you know, rapper yeah. instead of an R&B singer. 
But now what has what is like legit happening is that Tony nominated playwright for The Inheritance, Matthew Lopez, Lopez. is set to write the script for the upcoming Bodyguard movie. So this is what he has to say. Instead of focusing on an established star like the one Whitney Houston played, this is about a young Latina performer who has just become famous. It's about how her life has changed because she's an overnight sensation. In the 21st century, that means she's in immediate need of protection. It was important to me to use this opportunity to get Latin faces up on that screen and to get their stories told in a big way. That's awesome. I mean, and it's also like you look at like what happened to Selena, you know, and and then magnify that by like the age of social media. Ooh, that's really interesting. Um, But we almost had a sequel to The Bodyguard. Because, I mean, second highest grossing movie of the year, this film is such a huge smash hit. And you might be thinking, oh, so like, you know, Whitney needs Frank to come protect her again. And no, no, no. Frank's moved on. Yeah. He's now has to protect a princess. <laughs> Costner contacted his longtime friend, Princess Diana, to star in a sequel. She was considering it. And the first draft of the script arrived the day before her death. Oh, my God. I have so many questions. Number one, is this a Hallmark series that we go from famous singer to princess? Number two, Diana to play. I mean, I guess if Whitney's basically playing herself. Wow. Wow. You know I tell you, this beats my surprise at Whitney with a samurai sword. This is even <laughs> surpassing that. Just being like, wow, imagining Princess Diana and Kevin Costner. So we had Whitney with the samurai sword. So how do we raise the stakes for the sequel? Princess Di with an Uzi? <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, they put her in like fatigues and she has to do the like the, you know, the the black mud type thing under the eyes. You know. Ooh, see, I was just thinking he takes her to like the gun range and is teaching Princess Di how to shoot a gun. But oh, yeah, I like but- this so much better. Full print, private Benjamin, yes. private Diana. Oh man, yeah, private princess. <laughs> private princess. Oh, copyright and almost starring private princess. The princess <laughs> the has to go. Yeah, forget the bodyguard. The princess has to go through boot camp for blah blah blah. We'll figure it out in post. Private princess. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> blah blah blah. We'll figure it out in post. <laughs> Amy Jo? Why, yes. What are you recommending this week? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to recommend this podcast that I've listened to for years called Myths and Legends. It is a very, like, low stakes, playful host who takes you through all these, like, myths and folklore from all over the world. Um, It's very accessible, but also informative. And I just, I don't know, I find it like to be really engaging. And he'll do like, you know, a 10 part series on the Knights of the Round Table, breaking it down into like bite sized bits and then go on, you know, he does like a monster of the week at the end of everything. And I find it to be a really fun way to bip in and out of like, oh, I need something light and uh, I can learn a little something about, I don't know. Norse mythology, Japanese folklore, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I find it a really engaging thing when you're like, I don't want to engage with anything serious. I just want to hear about some some monster that someone made up thousands of years ago. So that's what I'm recommending. Myths and legends. Love it. Jeff. Amy Joe. 
What are you recommending? Um, well, I'm going to recommend another romantic drama. Um, this movie, God's Own Country from 2017, which I thought was a uh, beautiful film. It starts out Josh O'Connor. Uh, speaking of the royals, he was playing Prince Charles in the last uh, few seasons of The Crown is probably what a lot of people are now familiar with him. Um, but he plays this young farmer in Yorkshire. Uh, who in this like small like village town who's he's a gay man but he's there's not he kind of does live out much to like the chagrin of his father his his family but um he's winds winds up forming a romance with this romanian migrant worker who comes to help out on the farm and it's just a beautiful story of these two men and it's like there's all this <laughs> real animal husbandry that they like go through. So you're seeing them like birth all of these lambs. It's like such a like wow. realism, like not docudrama feel, but like there's such a realism throughout that just like gives it such an, such a feeling unlike any, like most movies that I've seen of like, we are seeing these actors are birthing lambs that they are like going through the actual day to day of farm life. As you see them start to like fall in love with each other. Uh, I just thought it was absolutely gorgeous and, and, and gorgeously shot. Uh, this movie, God's own country from 2017. Cool. And that's what we're recommending this week. Da, da, da. Do you have a movie that you'd love for us to break down the casting of email us at and almost starring at gmail.com and let us know. You can find us on Instagram at and almost starring and follow for our shenanigans. Until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And thanks for joining us to see who almost starred.